What's he You're doing? Is he, here. is he hawking CDs out of the trunk of his ship? In front of my house. That's just rude. While blocking my driveway. Celine Dion? Well, I mean, I wouldn't pay for it, so might as well get it from a pirate. There's some funny yeah, Oh God, he's got a customer. You know, you like you start striking me as a man who would like the the song Mandy or the Coco Cabana. I'm a big fan of that one myself. I love Barry Manilow. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. Well, hmm, I guess I'll think about it. Wait. No. No, Wait, please can, don't walk away. This is really weird. He's I a very this, outdated this internet pirate be because he's hawking CDs. Oh no. He doesn't know what a podcast is. It. Is that an eight track? Yar. How did he hear us? I don't know. That's bizarre. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Eric Bridgemont. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I think I'm still Sarah Ashley. We hope you are. Because otherwise, yeah. who the hell are you and what have you done with Sarah? <laughs> We're not entirely sure, but we're confident that we have a Sarah here in the room. We're continuing our discussion of pirates. Oh, yeah. It's kind of fun. And to, to mark the occasion, yeah, we got some blort. That's right. We have made for us a special from my friend Alex, who, special shout out to you, good buddy, uh, some mead to drink on our second episode of pirates. Now we didn't drink this on the first episode because I understand it's got a bit of a kick to it, and uh, the last thing we need is Brian getting drunk. So, <laughs> uh, can't promise let's, that let's, now. Let's go ahead and pour out a little mead. Now this mead is a, a heavier me. mead. A little bit for Sarah. Just a little bit. Great, thank you. Okay. Yes. Uh, therefore, we are going to be drinking it at room temperature, and of course on a uh, pirate vessel without refrigeration. If you had some uh, some homemade alcohol, which, well, let's face it, it was all homemade at the time, uh, you'd be drinking it at uh, room temp anyhow. So we're gonna drink it like pirates, uh, and then we will uh, we will enjoy. All right, clinky. Clinky. So, yeah, it's very good. Uh, a a yar to us. Yar. 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 Shiver my timbers. Yeah. Not too shabs. That's pretty damn good. Yeah. Oh, I that's really that, sweet. I like it. I didn't even know that micrometeries were a thing. <laughs> they are totally a thing. Yeah, you can actually, you can taste the honey. Yeah. The honey and like the wheat, almost like a wheat kind of element to it too. Yeah, it's absolutely delicious. I love it. Alex, you've done well. Yep. I feel more like a pirate now than I have in maybe five or six minutes. Ever since you got the peg leg. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Peg toe, actually, because he's talking about his left pinky toe. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, the fracture turns out to be a little wooden stump of a toe. (laughs) Turns out, turns out the fracture from the last episode was irreparable, so they had to amputate. But he needs the pinky toe for balance, so Mm -hmm. they gave him a wooden peg toe. Yes. Yeah. Totally the weirdest doctor's appointment I've heard of. (laughs) Totally, totally a thing. Yeah. So, Brian, (laughs) do you want to take it from where we left off in the last one, where Eric so uh, eloquently explained? basically why people start going into piracy we did yeah so um we kind of left it off with it with a tease toward the famous the most famous era of piracy which was between the really the the late 17th and 18th centuries 
which in the in the Caribbean, essentially. Despite what Renaissance fairs will tell you, <laughs> the <laughs> pirates that walked around wearing tricorn hats were probably more like 17th century pirates and not Renaissance pirates. <laughs> but whatever, who's keeping tabs on that? <laughs> Exactly. They would be more home in a Dickens fair than they would be at a uh, Ren fair. Yeah. But, you know, since we're talking about the late... We also... It does really go as far back, though, as the late 16th century, too. And I think it would be unfair if we didn't talk about a man very close to my heart, mostly because I did a report on him in fourth grade. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, those intense fourth grade connections. <laughs> I Go still, on. I still remember my fifth grade book report on Leonard Nimoy's <laughs> I Am Spock, uh, which I built a diorama for. Yeah, sure, sure. It was Leonard Nimoy in a turtleneck in a dark well, room. Well, like, this was like Catholic school. I had to have like quotes and like stuff. Oh. So it was like... It yeah, was... I put a, a figurine of Spock in a turtleneck in a shoebox. Anyway, I digress. Sir Francis Drake, well, actually, he was just Francis Drake. He was knighted by Queen Elizabeth I because of his uh, his uh, attributes or his uh, his exploits, I should say. Or he, uh, on as he was known uh, by his friends, Frankie D. Frankie D. Actually, he was known by his friends as the Sea Dog. So, I mean, it's no surprise at this point that Elizabeth I, we talked about this a lot, because she was Protestant, a lot of the Catholic monarchs didn't like that. And they didn't see her as a legitimate monarch. And because of that, they did everything they could to make her reign difficult. Uh, the biggest one of these was the King of Spain. And uh, he, he did try to marry her, and he was very, you know, scorned because of that. But on top of that, even after that happened, he, he tried to invade you know, the whole Spanish Armada. Just a, a lot of bad stuff happened. And it was mostly out of vengeance. And so... What the queen did was basically she was trying to ensure that her trade routes, her trade vessels were not being destroyed. So she also kind of retaliated a little bit and she started going after Spanish trade vessels. Yeah. Uh, because Spain had been declared at this point an enemy of the English crown. And um, mind you, this is pre United Kingdom, right? It, this, she was the last queen of England who was strictly of England. Queen of England proper. Queen of England proper. Uh, I mean, of course, just of. Basically of Great Britain, right? Yeah. Minus Scotland. So they had their own queen. Yeah. Exactly. Mary, who but her we head. won't get into that yeah. right now. No, no. That's a whole other topic. Yes, it is indeed. But he his most famous voyage was from fifteen seventy seven to fifteen eighty. And he became the first English captain to circumnavigate the globe. So he does have some other merits outside of being a privateer. We'll give him that. That is actually pretty impressive considering the knowledge of the of seafaring at that point was minimal like yes columbus had done it but and a couple others but still pretty impressive um that being said um he did lose four of his five boats that he had um and he had to execute a subordinate for allegedly plotting a mutiny so um and along the way he did write raid a bunch of spanish ports so you know he and he did capture a Spanish vessel loaded with with treasure. So really, while he was circumnavigating the globe, he was committing acts of of piracy under the English crown's jurisdiction, and it was because of that that he was knighted. Mm. <laughs> That's what gave him the title of Sir Francis Drake, and um, and his nickname from Queen Elizabeth, my pirate. 
my pirate exactly yeah she yes. was quite quite fond quite taken with well her. yeah of course because eight years later he did actually when the spanish armada did actually occur yeah. he was at the helm to defeat it so i shouldn't say at the helm but he was one of the contributors to helping defeat them so yeah i mean kind of a pirate i gotta say honestly like it's hard to say otherwise i mean he plundered he raided well let's be very clear a privateer is essentially somebody who is given permission to act as a pirate by their home country or by the country who's employing them so long as who they are attacking is an enemy of the crown exactly as long yes. as they're not you know attacking the same nation that they are employed by they are not considered to be a pirate in the legal sense the actions of said privateer is that of a pirate and that was clearly understood uh, not just by the people employing them, but by the pirates themselves. It's not to say that the privateers were within a whole separate class, all of themselves, right? They were pirates, and they functioned much as a pirate ship would. Uh, but they did so with the legality yeah. behind it. So while, while we're on the subject of privateering, um, we're going to jump around history a little bit. We're going to fast forward about 100 years now to another English privateer by the name of Henry Morgan. Do you guys know where I'm going with this? Oh, yeah. Uh, in the rum direction? In the rum direction. He was a captain, right? And he he did go to Cuba quite a bit. So you guys can do the math from there. And, you know. He, and he was a captain. And, so. he, and he famously had a bad knee, so he constantly had to prop his leg up on things. So yep. constantly popping his leg up, put the, his hands the, on his hips. The jury he, he is out about the, yeah, the jury <laughs> is out about the red coat and the long, very, you know distinguished goatee um we think that was probably artistic license but nevertheless the man did exist um and he's probably a, the best known pirate because of that because his name's on a on a freaking bar well, run. oh i wouldn't call him the best known pirate well no we'll get to the, the like the most notorious yeah he is later. certainly a well-known pirate but yes, it's not the best well let's talk about why he was well known i mean so first of all when he was you know hanging out in cuba by hanging out, I mean, you know, acting like a pirate. Um, he locked, uh, he ordered his men to lock the inhabitants of Puerto Principe, which is a was a little town in Cuba, uh, inside a church so that they could plunder the town unhindered. So you can imagine that. Just everyone go into the church, lock it, and then they just, and I, I guess they let them out when they were done. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. I would hope so. Yeah. He also moved on. Uh, he kind of jumped around because he also went to uh porto bello not as in like not <laughs> as in not like the, the mushroom, mushroom but in but actually <laughs> the the town in panama um where and he created a human shield out of priests women and the mayor so you know he he did some kind of um pretty scummy things he you know using a human shield for uh, making a human shield out of clergy uh, that kind of... but you gotta admit he's pretty well organized <laughs> he's got a plan yeah, though he was briefly arrested in 1672, but yet, here's the best part. I love this. At one point, he was serving as the acting governor of Jamaica in 1678, and again from 1680 and then 1682. What's ironic about this is that while he was in office as yeah. the governor, the Jamaican legislature passed an anti-piracy law <laughs> during his administration, and he even assisted in prosecuting other pirates. What a D-bag. <laughs> well, this is not super uncommon for pirates. Yeah. You know, they generally had actually very short careers at this time. This yeah, so-called golden age of piracy, right? 
And once they had kind of served their purpose, they they stopped. You know, it was dangerous. It was extremely dangerous. And they knew that. Uh, and while some took it to the extreme and died uh, pretty magnificently, and we'll talk about, obviously, Blackbeard and, and what have you and those who died in hails of gunfire, many of them ended up doing so uh, quite well for themselves, in fact, and went on and had pretty good lives afterwards, after their very successful careers. Absolutely. Though, you know, I mean, that being said, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when it happens to, um, to you know, another famous pirate. He managed to survive and retire, but then got swindled out of most of his money in retirement. So Before we move away from Henry, uh, I wanted to take a moment, and I wanted to talk a little bit around buccaneers. And you might think of the term buccaneer and pirate as being synonymous with one another, and that's because, well, they are. But that wasn't always the case. The, the buccaneer of which Henry Morgan would fall into that category, like this was the age of the buccaneer, was a, a very different breed of pirate. And again, these were pirates who were actually quite good at land piracy as well, because of how they kind of came into the act. The buccaneers, and, and it's interesting that the, the word buccaneer actually derives from the Caribbean uh, Arawak word meaning bucan, which is a wooden frame that was used for drying out pork meat. And, so, was and, it, so was it bucaneros, basically? Is that what they were? Yeah, essentially. Well, what these guys were were, were hunters of wild boar and, and wild cattle. Uh, on the island of Tortoga, the famous or, or yeah, the famous pirate haven of Tortoga, right? So you've got uh, these folks who initially were very poor and not doing terribly well for themselves, and were hunters who were then bringing their meat down to the the sailors at the harbor to sell it off to them, and realize, well, hell, why don't we just, you know, take a few of their ships and take what's on it and take a little loot and booty for ourselves uh and they began becoming braver and braver and started banding together and then uh, attacking them as they came into the harbor and eventually adopted their ships and adopted uh their sea legs and went out on the ocean and did quite well for themselves the buccaneers were known for being uh coastal raiders they were excellent at being able to jump off ship raid cities and towns and get back quite successfully so it really did begin a whole kind of starting point of of this typical piracy within the Caribbean, uh, but it had a, a little bit of a different origin to it than you might expect. I wouldn't think of, you know, the initial pirates as being, you know, hunters and dryers of meat, but uh, hey, you got to start somewhere. Interesting point. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk about another guy because... Um, you know, I I think cannibalism kind of really does get into the most heinous thing you can probably do as a human being, let alone a, a pirate. Wait, I think most wait. of the Donner Party would disagree with that. Live cannibalism or like if the person's already dead? Well, let's talk about Francois Lolanet. And uh, so first of all, he he had a he was French. If you couldn't if you couldn't figure that out. What? Uh, and he, he had a, a pretty deep hatred for, for, uh, the Spanish. Um, not uncommon for the time. Yeah. I mean, he, early on in his days of being a pirate, he was almost killed by, uh, Spanish raiders. And instead of, you know, leaving piracy because of almost dying, he decided to go on an anti-Spain rampage. So 
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think he actually even said uh, his message, I shall never ha- uh, henceforward give quarter to any Spaniard whatsoever, but of course in French. So Naturally, he wouldn't have said it in English. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he did a lot of beheading. He beheaded a lot of Spaniards, as you might imagine. Um, he raised a pirate fleet of eight ships and hundreds of men, and uh, he terrorized the coast of South America, and so he sacked a bunch of Spanish-ruled cities uh, in the process of doing that. Uh, he captured treasure vessels uh, that were returning to Spain, but he also had killed his fair share of Portuguese sailors during that same time. Anyway, the situation I'm referring to, though, so he was returning from a pillaging off the coast of Venezuela, and he was ambushed by a bunch, a much larger uh, squadron, uh, or a much larger force of um, Spanish soldiers. And, um, you know, of course, the Spanish had cannons at this point, and so they were being blown to pieces left and right. And so because of that, um, Lulanay did manage, barely manage to escape that, but he did take a few Spanish hostages along the way. He was so mad at them that he, as a retribution, he drew his sword, sliced into one of the Spanish prisoners' chest, pulled out the heart with his hands, and began to bite and knot with his teeth. So, yeah, we're talking living, well, the person was still living when that, when that happened. Dying cannibalism? I don't know what I would call that. I would call it something out of an Indiana Jones movie, personally. <laughs> this guy must have had to have been watched very closely on the playground. Like, I I would have serious concerns as a parent of He was probably this. a bedwetter. Yeah, almost certainly. <laughs> At least it's, until 25. When people are motivated by hatred, they do some pretty seriously evil things. Well, he sounds kind of like a psychopath. Kind of? <laughs> <laughs> kind I'm of? guessing there's a whole... A lot of inability to feel empathy there. Uh, so nothing really shocks me about that. Yeah, I guess we could go with that. <laughs> um, that being said, I do want to also skip around to around the same period and talk about Black Bart. Or, uh, as his, that's what he was known by, of course, but Bartholomew Roberts was his actual name. And he was Welsh. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, just the way you, you say said that. that with like disappointment. He was oh Welsh. We Welsh. have nothing against you. Know the Welsh. how we feel about the Welsh around here? They were lovely. <laughs> oh my god, they still are. Uh, he was actually admired by his crew. He was kind of the. I would say he was probably the daintiest pirate in the Seven Seas. And well, he was a badass too. He, he was. Really yeah, I guess was. His, his his crew admired him. He was considered pistol proof. Um, so what do you mean by dainty dainty so he did not and that he was petite no I, I, no i i mean dainty in the maybe the foppish kind so of he was a little effeminate yeah okay <clears throat> um he was known for wearing fine clothes sure uh he also had a very civil ship he actually encouraged prayer on his uh vessels which i thought was very interesting that being said of course he was a pretty vicious pirate he did plunder over 400 vessels and he had a wildly successful career as a pirate. And he also his ships were also incredibly well armored too. So he was kind of a very rich pirate and he was very I I assumed that his knack for wearing fine clothing was because he had attained enough wealth that he wanted yeah, to like sure. enjoy it. Yeah. And I just think it's funny that like you know that he was that he had that his men loved him and just he has this whole air of like this almost like being a British aristocrat. It reminds me of if you guys have been to Disneyland mm-hmm. and you see there's that one very 
very foppish looking pirate that's on the wall. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That pretty much could have been Black Bart. It wasn't Black Bart. They gave him some other name, but that pretty much could have been Black Bart. Mm-hmm. I think that that weird distinction of that he was a pirate, but yet he encouraged prayer on his ship was very, very interesting. Well, he also insisted upon articles that declared no gambling uh, for money. And he preferred uh, tea to rum, too. He drank tea. Yeah. Yeah, he was very, very... Uh, no, no women on board. People had to keep their clothing clean. Uh, yeah. It was like lights out at 8 p.m., he was kind of like a um, like a British military commander in a way. I was gonna say more like uh, like a like a quintessential den mother, or maybe uh, you know, he seems like my mom a den a mother little bit because he was helping them reach their cookie selling goal. <laughs> <laughs> just you know, you think of like the den mom as being the one who just kind of lays out all the, yeah. the rules of good conduct, right? And you should follow these rules. I, I feel like more of like the the strict nun at the orphanage that's kind of what i'm thinking but that's just me personally but he's also killing people and plundering ships and that's why i'm thinking you know sounds like a nun to me what the dead mother does (laughs) behind locked doors oh okay got it um i do want to say that he did die in a vigorous battle um with the british he took on a man of war and didn't do so terribly well yeah Uh, in fact while in the midst of a broadside volley he caught a rather serious piece of shrapnel that killed him instantly, mm-hmm. uh, right there in front of his crew. And, and, they, were, and uh, they, they and the British Navy were completely stunned by what happened. Yeah, I mean, nobody nobody thought that he would uh, he would ever go out in such a way. He was thought to almost be invincible. Yeah, let alone, yeah, because they called him pistol-proof. So. Well, he himself almost certainly fed into the, to oh, the, of the, the myth As and they usually do. believed it. Um, it just so happened that just the right time and the right place... And, yeah. you know, up against a man of war, your only option is if you have a favorable wind is to get away. Very few pirates ever actually took on any serious naval engagements and, and won or were able to escape. That was not terribly common. You see it in the romanticized version of pirates with Errol Flynn in the early days of movies. And then later, of course, with, you know, Johnny Depp and the and the Pirates of Caribbean. Yeah. But, you know, you find that... Um, that was not the case. They took on easy targets. They took on targets they knew they could hit. And if they so happened to come across a really profitable plunder, they were lucky. But a lot of the time, it was the luck of the draw. Whatever they came across that they found, they found. Well, speaking of the Johnny Depp Pirates of the Caribbean movies, we can talk about a character who's at least the name inspired a character in there, who is uh, the Bar- Barbarossa brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Barbosa, but Barbarossa. Um, who were um, pretty much they were Ottoman pirates, um, and more more or less we're talking more specifically about Hayreddin Barbarossa, who is also known as Redbeard. Um, was he, he also related to a Viking, Brian? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> um, as we established last episode, it was it's more likely that the red-haired Arabs were there already um, in that area. That being said, so um, I mean, he didn't just have his own fleet which is impressive in and of itself, he had his own country. He had his own nation. Crazy. And so he, and we're going back to the 16th century at this point. Now, he was a legitimate mercantile sailor um, who, he had to flee the Mediterranean after um, basically he was backing a certain person to become sultan of the Ottoman Empire. And that person didn't become sultan. So because of that, he was deemed a political enemy. And so he had to kind of run for his life. That happening, he decided to become a pirate, and uh, he started attacking Christian ships 
around Africa, more now what's Tunisia. Uh, and until his enemies took his base and he was homeless once again. Um, but he just got really tired of being kicked out of countries because uh, this is now it happened to him twice. So he decided to take the Regency of Algiers, which uh, today is present day Algeria, Tunisia and parts of Morocco. He actually had complete control of that country and he took control of it with his fleet of pirate ships. Um, they don't know exactly how many he had. Some people estimate that he had as many as 122 at his command. That's a decent size. That's a decent size. Yeah, that's that's. You're not a pirate captain at that point. You are a, a pirate, pirate admiral, admiral yeah. pretty much at that point. That's insane. Now, not all of those ships would have been, you know, massive in size. Most of them would have been. Little, oh, I'm sure they would have all been little all sizes sloops yeah. and what have you that were yeah. quick and fast and maneuverable. And uh, you know, again, the pirate's biggest advantage was speed. Well, let's put it this way: when he had those ships, he didn't actually have 122 ships command at his command in one particular battle, which was the Battle of Previsa in 1538. Um, let's put it this way. The combined forces of Venice, the Vatican, Genoa, Spain, Portugal, and Malta couldn't take these ships. They had six countries. Or is am I counting correctly? One, two, three, four, five. Yes, yeah, six countries to, with combined naval forces, and they couldn't take this, his fleet down. That's pretty powerful. Now, we're not saying that the entire fleet of all these six countries were in the Battle of Previsa. But nevertheless, when you have six countries all uniting against one entity, you would think that they would come out on top. But no, they didn't. Crazy. So um, that's kind of why I, want, I think he deserved mentioning. And I think that's more impressive than Blackbeard, because Blackbeard only had a four-year reign as a pirate captain. You know, Breadbeard was way more successful than Blackbeard was. Yeah, Blackbeard sucks. <laughs> well, since we're talking about Blackbeard... We should probably talk about Blackbeard. We should talk about Blackbeard, yeah. Edward Teach was his, was his actual name. What's and up, his Teach? beard was actually gray. Yeah. Mm. It was probably black at one point, hopefully. Well, if they called him Salt and Pepper Beard, it wouldn't mm. quite be as intimidating, would it? He'd <laughs> be Salt cuter. and Pepper. <laughs> Not the band, though. <laughs> Not the musical performance. <laughs> Yar, push it. Push it real good. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. It's quite hot in here. I think we're getting delirious. Yeah. So, you know, even though he is probably one of the most famous in name, and he was pretty widely feared at his time, but he only commanded four ships. Though he allegedly had as many as 300 pirates on those four ships. That's like 75 people a ship. These must have been big ships to fit that many people on them. No, they weren't. Really tight <laughs> sleeping quarters. <laughs> no, really. Uh, they, they packed a lot of people on ships that were not nearly designed for that capacity. No wonder they were irate. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> they, were, they were just angry from being kept so close quarters. Yeah. Um, his most famous ship, of course, was the HMS Scarborough. And, or sorry, I should say he defeated the HMS Scarborough in sea battle. That was his most famous battle, I think. He he did kind of like capture a lot of this the imagery that you would expect from a pirate. Like he carried two swords, um, several knives and pistols at the ready. Like the famous drawing of him has six pistols in his uh, coat ready to go. He has a sword behind on his backside and a sword in his right hand. So like he's not in his backside, just like hanging around the back of his... Uh, <laughs> I think we got what you meant. Hang on, this back was a belt. bit of an injury that can't be cured. Um, so he actually captured forty ships when he was 
when he won, in the brief time he was raiding the Caribbean. He killed lots of people <laughs> because of that. He also took on lots of unofficial wives. I'm going to use wives with air quotes, too. Because um, he was, at one point, officially, again, air quotes, married to a 16-year-old girl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whom legend... But, of course, this is back when, you know, the... the, the this is back legal when 16 age, was old. Yeah. was 16 was your proper age. Still, <laughs> he was quite a bit older, so it did kind of... It's, it's gross. gross. It's yeah. not... We're not saying it's not gross. But the funny thing was, apparently, she tried to reform him, and uh, instead, uh, he offered the, his wife as a gift to his crew. Even more gross. Yep. Yeah, Indeed. that one you just can't swing. That's, nope. that's That's horrible. Well, thankfully, he got his comeuppance because, you know, there's the there was the fierce battle that was eventually his undoing with, you know, he had, this is where he had the candle smoke rising from his beard and that, that other famous image of him. Uh, he was eventually taken by the Royal Navy and then was beheaded. Well, not after taking several shots to the chest and other parts of the body. I mean, he, the man was riddled mm-hmm. with shot and uh, stabbed multiple times and finally done off by yeah. cutting off his head. Let's also not forget that uh, his head was raised on a, up on a stake uh, as a warning to the other pirates in Virginia's Hampton River. So I wonder if Blackbeard's skull is still somewhere in, in the States because that would be... Interesting to check out. Um, can we talk about an American pirate for a moment? Okay. Because this one's fascinating. He actually wasn't a pirate. He was um, he was a Navy captain. But he really enjoyed going after pirates. So much so that he kind of made him a pirate more. But he's not a privateer either because he was, he was an official member of the U.S. military. Because he was kind of a pirate. And that man was Stephen Decatur. Um, though his name does have a decatur kind of sound to it, but yeah, it's American. I will say though that he was an, a respected U.S. naval officer, and so much so that he was the youngest man to become a captain in the history of the Navy. Also, so much so that in the uh, you know before we had decided to put a bunch of presidents on our money, he was actually on the twenty dollar bill. So, kind of kind of fun to know. He was a big deal. He was a big deal, and here's why he got so famous. The USS Philadelphia was captured by Tripolitan pirates in 1803, and uh, Decatur was 25 years old at the time. He gathered a group of men, disguised them as Maltese sailors, and infiltrated the enemy harbor, armed only with swords and pikes. That's a pretty pirate thing to do, just, just off the bat. They didn't recover the ship, no. They overtook the entire crew without losing a single man, and they set the ship on fire so the pirates couldn't use it. It's actually pretty ingenious. Yeah, yeah. Um, that uh, burn and lay waste policy, right? Well, that actually was a big deal. In fact, the, the news of that, that act got even Horatio Nelson, yes, Horatio Hornblower himself, even called it the most bold and daring act of the age. So, wow. Yeah. He had his respect from even, even from other countries, who at this point, if we're talking 1803, now Britain and, and the United States were still not in very good uh, diplomatic terms. So, you know. Still pretty high praise. Can I briefly mention another American pirate? Sure. A river pirate and a lake pirate. Okay. More so a lake pirate than anyone. Go ahead. Uh, you ever heard of Dan Seavey? No. Dan Seavey? Good old Dan Roaring Seavey. Actually, it's Roaring Dan Seavey, but who's counting? Uh, he was a uh, <laughs> rather interesting individual. He was born in Maine. Uh, eventually moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, where he would serve as a fisherman and the owner of a local saloon. 
He also attempted to make a fortune during the Klondike Gold Rush and was horribly unsuccessful in doing so, and returned to the area in 1900, where he then took up a life of piracy on Lake Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Seriously, he he acquired a, a schooner. Yar, I be terrorizing Chicago. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> and he named it the Wanderer, and he began stealing cargo from ships that were moored and and docked. Wow! At, at night, he'd sneak in, he'd steal their cargo. <laughs> I, I was only kidding. This is this is amazing. <laughs> this is great. Uh, and he would sell uh, the goods in Chicago. He would. He would sail his way to Chicago and sell it there. Uh, he was also quite the bastard in that he would kidnap women and sell them into prostitution rooms. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, very, very bad. Uh, and he would also alter what are known as sea lights, which are essentially like, you know, like small lighthouse for the for the lake. Uh, and do so in a way that would cause ships to crash into the rocks uh, or get beached. And then he would, again, steal their cargo. Uh, he was also quite known for his venison poaching and other acts of thievery. Uh, and his most infamous, infamous, excuse me. Infamous. Uh, infamous uh, exploit. So you're saying it, he had an infamous tangential? Uh, this is a bit of a tangential on his infamousness. Yes. Uh, <laughs> when he actually hijacked a fellow schooner by the name of Nellie Johnson. Schooner. I love it. Schooner. Uh, it's the Chicago pronunciation. Uh, CV actually came on board their ship with a huge amount of alcohol. This was on uh, June 11th, 1908. Got the entire dr crew completely drunk and then tossed them overboard in a drunken stupor. Uh, and proceeded to, uh, steal... Uh, the ship, the entire ship itself, sailed it to Chicago and sold off uh, its entire uh, cargo. Wow. Uh, he was never brought up on charges of it because the owner of the uh, vessel never reappeared. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, he later retired, however, from his life of villainy and became a, uh, a U.S. Marshal and actually helped to curb uh, poaching, smuggling, and piracy that was apparently common at the time on Lake Michigan. Hmm. Uh, he would later die February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1949, after a rather tyrannous career. And I believe that brings us to our most modern pirate yet. To this point, yeah. But Sarah... Well... I want to mention one more before we get into contemporary piracy, just because it met, met bears repeating that we talked about Madame Shang Chi. Uh, we did, we did reference her. Let's let's go over her quickly, quickly, because we have talked about her once before. Yes, she's in the Baddest Women episode. But just to mention that we didn't talk about Chinese pirates very, very much. We need, we also haven't talked about female pirates. And yes, there was uh, Anne Bonny, who was one of the one of a few uh, Western pirates that were female irish she, if i remember correctly yeah she was um she never commanded a ship but she she was known at, and she was very wily and survived capture and all these cool things but shang chi was awesome because she she took over from her husband she was equal with her husband in the pirate vessel she was also so powerful that she actually got the, the chinese government to basically they granted her amnesty because she they didn't know how to deal with her she was so powerful and she ended her days 
running a casino and a brothel with her husband. She retired and lived a very happy life. One of the few pirates to actually do so. So there's, we talk about more about her in that Badass Women episode, but please, please check that out because she deserves more time than we have to offer for this episode. Sarah, since Eric had brought us into the 20th century, let's continue with that into the, the current time. Yeah, let me go ahead and um, just do a little, just kind of a little uh, clarification here that, you know, when we talked about a lot of kind of what was going on in the 1600s and 1700s and those awesome notable pirates, um, this really was kind of the golden era for piracy and privateering. You know, even during the American Revolution, there were like plenty of Americans that were actually serving as privateers um, overseas, at, like, you know, tens of thousands. Um, however, you know, it once the Revolutionary War ended and, and around 1812, you know, privateering was becoming a, a big issue. Piracy was still a big issue. And so um, privateering actually lost international sanction under the Declaration of Paris in 1856. And that kind of ended that little golden age of piracy that was going on. I want to say piracy kind of falls into a lull. You know, we kind of mentioned in the last episode that piracy kind of comes and goes in waves, pun intended. Um, and, you know, basically what was happening kind of in the early 1900s um, during World War One um, and World War Two is that there were actually commerce raiders. You couldn't quite call them pirates or privateers necessarily because they were army men in disguised warships. They were still pi piloting their own warships, but they were right. disguised and they were still, um, you know, looting and, and robbing on the high seas. So, um, and taking profit for themselves. Absolutely. As well. yeah. yeah. So they weren't but pirates being in that sense. I, I would qualify them. Yeah. As but they were, but they were specifically targeting their opposing combatants. So it could right. also could be considered acts of war. Right. So I consider them the modern privateer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, and they're probably being a bit more civil about it than the golden age of pirates. No, oh, God. not necessarily at all. No. But these are, these were, you know, a lot of commissioned naval vessels that were openly used. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting, but you know, piracy does kind of find a little quiet phase, especially during the Cold War, because naval activity is actually at a high, and there's plenty of naval ships that are kind of floating around the coast and keeping an eye on each other because of the tension in the Cold War. So then, once the Cold War subsides, then you start to see um, slow rises in, in piracy again, especially among trading routes. And specifically, you see a lot of this happening um, between the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean, off the Somali coast, of course. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Also, the Strait of Malacca and Singapore. And then, actually, there's a high level of piracy that happens on the Amazon River in Brazil, mm. which is very mm. fascinating. I believe that. Yeah. It's remote enough that you can get away quickly without getting in trouble. Yeah. It's the largest there, river in the world mm -hmm. next to the Nile. So. And there's still also... Um, river piracy that happens on the Serbian and Romanian stretches on the Danube as well. Mm. So all of this stuff is still happening now. Um, I don't know if you, I mean, obviously for some of you guys who are, you know, movie buffs like Brian and I are, and you've seen Captain Phillips, yeah. um, you know, with Tom Hanks, you know. <laughs> I've seen commercials. You've seen commercials, yeah. It's actually a really great movie. It is a great movie, but, you know, it's kind of specifically talking about a, that distinct time around 2006 when... Somali pirates were all over the news mm -hmm. and it was because the we had seen a huge uptick especially that year of um, pirates taking hostages 
Yeah. Because this is the big shift between piracy then and piracy now. The biggest thing that's super profitable at this point is raiding a ship, taking a bunch of hostages, and ransoming the hell out of them to uh, the companies who own the ships. Because these are commercial vessels. These are not, it's not tourist vessel vessels. These are not naval vessels. These are commercial shipping vessels. Yeah, right? I, I bet you a nickel there was a Somali guy on the internet looking at the Wikipedia page for piracy and was reading all about Julius Caesar getting kidnapped and ransomed off and thought, you know what? Ding, ding, that ding. That sounds like a great <laughs> idea. And it just came back right. into existence. I mean, right. And that's the part that really hasn't changed, right? Piracy has always been about disrupting trade, disrupting mercantile vessels. We talked about that in the last episode, too, just to bring things full circle here. Mm -hmm. We're just seeing it in a different form. Yeah. And it and it does look very different, but it's still a, a significant issue right now. It, um, there's an estimated worldwide loss of 13 to 16 billion U.S. dollars as of a 10 year years ago, yeah, yeah. per year. And that's not just as of that's still now. Well, but that's that's the last time it was. I think it was estimated as what the loss was. It could be even well, so, higher. At so this here's point. the deal. Well, it's it's seeing a little bit of a as a, a downslope right now because of um, international action, which I'll talk about later. Um, but it, it actually is still a fair estimate because the fact is that most carriers are not actually reporting piracy incidents currently, um, and that's because there's a huge financial burden. So when you are reporting an incident of piracy on your own commercial vessel. Ship owners are basically experiencing super high insurance rates after the fact because they can increase up by like 30%. Who are the real pirates? Yeah, hmm. and there's also a, a loss that's incurred each day that an investigation is incurring over an act of piracy, which can run about $1,000 a day. It's like the inception of pirates. Yeah. All the piracies. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a huge stake in this for pirates to get all that ransom money yeah. especially because of the fact that you have commercial owners who don't want to report acts of piracy yeah and so and there's also not really a whole hell of a lot of deterrent for pirates because there's millions and millions of dollars at yeah. stake here and honestly the most that international naval ships will do or international officials can do at this point each country has their own separate law on how they can handle piracy. Like the mm. U.S. actually has the ability to give a death sentence to any pirate that's, you know, taken on anywhere in the high seas. It doesn't matter where. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to act on it. They kind of, by principle, follow the international law known as the universality principle, um, which says government may exercise jurisdiction over conduct outside its territory if that conduct is universally dangerous to states and their nationals. But at this point, basically everybody's kind of doing a deter and detain policy where if they do get pirates, they basically detain them, question them, make it a pain in the butt for them, take their guns away, and then send them back out. And that's really all they all people are doing right now. Which they do give them a firm lecturing. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, they good have to watch a video. Uh, I believe it's called the Red Tide. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, oh, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because a lot of these modern pirates too. They a lot of them do have ties to government and organized crime. Um, especially in Somalia, a lot of them are tied to organized crime. And then if you look at the South China Sea um, and a lot of pirates in that area, they're actually working under the protection of the Chinese government. It's really 
really interesting to see where these different types of pirates are coming from because a lot of them are just doing it because they're opportunistic. Others are doing it because their country is in socio-political and economic struggles, um, you know, especially in Somalia is where you see a lot of that. There, there's so much poverty. that This is really the best option that you have. Yeah. You do kind of find it really interesting, though, because technology has made piracy so much more different. You're kind of going from cannons to RPGs, which are a lot more threatening. Yeah. <laughs> um, as cool as the Greek fire thing is, <laughs> RPGs and assault rifles and being able to use GPS and, you know, Far better tracking. Oh, don't get me wrong. Plutarch would have like erased that entire <laughs> chapter and just went, written volumes on modern piracy. But, oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. So they're a lot more threatening now than they were back then. Um, and you kind of see a lot of the same stuff. You know, there's boarding without permission, extortion, hostage taking, kidnapping for ransom, murder, robbery, sabotage, and shipwrecking. And rum. And rum. And there's still rum. There's Even in Somalia. still rum. Strangely enough. And where they drink uh, um, Captain Morgan. Yeah. 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 And, then, and that's the part that really makes me sad, too, because this is all born out of the political instability in Somalia. This all happened around the same time that the Somalian government collapsed. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there is no Navy or really formal Coast Guard that's patrolling those waters to make sure they're safe. Yeah. Right? So... Yeah, and there's just, I mean, and like I said, there's really not that much of a, a deterrent for them because if they know that the governments that are starting to take action, basically all they're doing right now is advising ship people to have private guards, naval escorts, yeah, or the, or they'll doing they're doing some minor naval patrolling, but not really. In Brazil, there's no form of the coast guard who's keeping an eye on things over there right and that makes you wonder like what's the next step is it do you want to have to have these mercantile vessels hire mercenaries basically i mean that's yeah. at this point that's effectively what they're doing they have yeah. there's a manual out there a self-defense manual for ship captains and and their crew members and it wouldn't surprise me if we've come full circle and they're hiring former pirates to act as consultants and or mercenaries because they know the I they know, know the game. Yeah, I don't know you about know? The, we're not going full blown mercenaries right now, but we are going armed private guards. I don't make that much of a distinction, but yes, I I make the distinction that the distinction that a mercenary is essentially private army. Someone who mm -hmm. is these are people who have trained military experience, but they're now yeah. for hire versus. Yeah. Being, but uh, if you are a former pirate yourself, you essentially have that experience. To there's that from. too. So yeah. I would I would consider them still hired. Yeah. Um, and and what's what is really interesting is there's also, you know, let's not forget there are also um, American pirates out there who are oh, yeah. who are pirating quote unquote on behalf of the inner of uh, the environment. So we look at the Sea Shepherd. And that famous, <laughs> you know, TV show. What's his name? Paul uh, Walrus? Something to that effect? I think it's Paul Walrus. <laughs> it's probably not Paul Walrus. Paul something. Yeah, I have a big problem with that guy. I'm sorry. Yeah. I love environmentalists, and I believe in protecting nature, and particularly the wildlife that is mm -hmm. on the endangered or brink of becoming endangered. Right. Uh, I have a big problem with people who essentially profit from it by making their own TV reality TV shows around it and then put inexperienced people on boats at risk. Yeah. 
uh, I don't even, I, I know his first name is Paul because I've, I've watched this series before on television. You got the internet right in front of you. I don't even, bo- I'm, I'm not <laughs> even going to give him the validity right. of a last name. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I will say like, and you know, they're, they're known for ramming other ships and yeah. super dangerous. Um, but you know, a lot of, and a lot of times they're doing it. It's almost a little too late because usually that's when they're doing it when somebody's already speared a whale. So yeah. And they do it all on camera because it looks yeah. great. Yeah. Um, can I just say something for a moment? Mm-hmm. This really does put a true face on piracy. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk just for a brief moment and highlight the fact that piracy particularly piracy in its golden age in the caribbean has been so romanticized thank you yeah and largely due to robert lewis stevenson and treasure, treasure island. island yeah that book alone and its subsequent 1950 walt disney uh adaptation uh has created some of the most absurd ideas and myths around piracy and the the real romanticism that it was uh, these brave, uh, courageous souls who are out there on the ocean making it against the, you know, fighting against the man, right? The little guys at the time. And while there was certainly to a small degree some of that that was happening out there, a lot of these folks were, you know. Very dangerous people. Very da- extremely dangerous people and yeah. criminals and felons in many cases. I mean, the, speak of the one myth that you bring of, because I was actually going to mention this before. There is actually not a single documented record of somebody walking the plank. Nope. No, that was, it was not a thing. No, they were more likely beheaded or hanged from the top mast of the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then yeah. thrown in the ocean. Yeah, their lifeless body, pretty brutally murdered. Yeah, pirates uh, wearing you know uh, parrots on the shoulder is garbage. Parrot and pirate sound similar, and it sounded funny, so they put it in the book. Uh, peg legs. Uh, certainly, amputations happened on board because sure. of that much shrapnel flying around, it's going to happen. And uh, the doctors on board were one of the most critical roles on the ship, highly respected. And the plunder that was happening of these other ships very rarely was gold, but more often food and medical supplies that were then used by the ship in hopes of, you know, something even more profitable that could be sold off. Uh, And as such, the doctors were very well trained, very experienced and had a lot of great medicine on board normally to treat wounds like amputations even still most of them died of gangrene or would simply retire because they were no longer able to board another ship and and you know conduct a raid yeah Uh, they ended up in the kitchen peeling potatoes uh and or were just kind of cast off the ship at the next port because they were no longer any good to the ship they were they were a waste um you found the myth of the eye patch you know people lost eyes and they needed to cover them up to keep them from getting infected that happened sure yeah people had eye patches there's a theory even that the eye patch was worn during the raiding of ships and those who were be uh pursuing anyone fleeing uh under deck would use the eye patch to keep their night vision good and they would move the patch over to the other eye or take it off when they went uh on you know below deck to go and fight under there and they had the advantage because anyone who was above deck was now waiting for their eyes to become light adjusted to the very, very dark conditions that would have been underneath. Uh, talking like a pirate, the R matey, the crap that we've been doing yeah. for the past two episodes. People didn't talk like pirates. People talked like people from where they were from. Yeah. And that the, 
the common pirate dialect is more or less uh, an amalgamation of some North English accents with well, a bit so- of a gravel. South, South English, really. So- and South English, too, yeah. The point is, you have these uh, depictions of these accents that have been blown out of proportion. They're not, they're not real. Pirate booty, again, was not normally buried pirate treasure was very rarely buried there are some recorded instances of it happening and they didn't need a map to go and find it because they knew exactly where it was so just wanted to take a quick opportunity to clear up a couple of old pirate myths um that thanks to movies and treasure island have been kind of blown out of proportion yep real quick because i wasn't entirely done with contemporary stuff sorry that's okay i thought i thought that was our launching point for the not okay quite (laughs) Um, I do just want to point out, though, that 2006 was the height of kind of the Somali pirate crisis, I would say. Um, It has seen a downturn, especially um, in 2013. It was significantly lower than it has been in quite some time, but still not entirely done. And, you know, there are a lot of definitions of piracy that are actually written into international law at this point. Um, there is a portion written into the Geneva Convention that defines piracy. And there's also um, a very clear um, articles 101 and 103 of the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea um, from 1982. You know, and it's kind of interesting that they were having to define it in 1982 um, when piracy was kind of considered at a low. But then um, in 1991 was when you started to see the rise in the Somali piracy issues going on there so i just wanted to get those last little points out and now we can continue i would challenge you to a battle of facts and issue one last statement okay relating to the old pirates okay just to, just to finish us off if that's okay sure i do want to mention because it is important to acknowledge the fact that while pirates of old were not nearly as civilized or romanticized as we might you know have depicted them recently Uh, They did have very early forms of democracy aboard their ship that were actually quite commendable. And that is something that is missing, I think, from the modern pirates of today. You You don't see that same level of cooperation and understanding and agreement upon heading out to sea as you did have with these pirates of old. Uh, So I would, I would say that that is one element perhaps of romanticism that is deserved and even the role of the ship quartermaster was yeah, quite Yeah, democracy unique. enforced by quartermaster. <laughs> well, that was the thing, though. They had, they had a system of checks and balances, yeah. right? They had their their president or their, their captain uh, who was making most of the decisions for the crew. But at any time the crew, you know, thought of that in question, the quartermaster would be the one to veto the decision of the, of the captain. And while these drunken mutinies that you see happening in the movies is not common, they would sometimes vote on no confidence on their captain and force the captain from their position. Uh, and in many cases, the first mate would then kind of take over or more often the quartermaster himself, uh, just because it was such a valued and respected position. Uh, and many times they had very strict codes of conduct that needed to be followed and rules of, of deviation in terms of the loot that was being plundered. Uh, in some cases, these guys were making equivalents of a million dollars in their time each based on some huge lucky hauls that they would bring in. Uh, and how that was divided up was very fair and equal. The captain obviously took the lion's share. The quartermaster followed usually with the next uh, best amount. But everyone was treated very equally. 
And it was in stark contrast to the way that, you know, for example, the British naval ships were being run at that time, mm -hmm. where the captains would oftentimes levy and tax their crew to offset their own crummy wages. No wonder so many left yeah. to piracy because they had better treatment, if not better, you know, conditions or lifestyle. Yeah. Well, and you got to figure you kind of have to keep some order going on a pirate ship because... You know, otherwise, when cabin fever sets in and it breaks out into a charming musical number, then, <laughs> I mean, that's just all, yeah. all hell breaks loose. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll say these past two episodes have been probably two of my favorites that we've done in a long time. Uh, I really enjoyed them a lot. And I thank you, Sarah, for bringing to light the, the modern side of piracy, uh, just because it's the true face of piracy. And what yeah, we, it's ugly. Yeah, and what I, I would hope our listeners would do is take that, look at that, and simply apply that throughout history. And what you're seeing is a change in style and a change in time, but not in true nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think with that, let's just go straight into feedback. Do it. This week in Listener Feedback. Our next piece of feedback comes from Jenny. Subject is new, new to Nerdonomy. I am uh, new to your podcast and completely obsessed. I enjoy the passion and jokes in the discussion. Makes it interesting and entertaining. Have you guys ever done a show about Appalachia culture slash history slash etc.? She's listening from Knoxville, Tennessee. Ooh, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. That would actually be really interesting. We haven't really talked too much about that region. That would be interesting. Mm -hmm. We should. We, yeah. In fact, we should do a whole podcast on the American South. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, and that ends our emails from the month, but we did get a few social media ones that I wanted to reach out and talk about. First of all, Tim, via Facebook page message, um, recommended we do an episode on the Cadaver Synod. And I got to admit, as a, someone who's a, an aficionado in Catholic history, I did not know about this. Hmm. This is where they posthumously took the body of uh, Pope Formosus, held him on trial, and then had his remains basically um, defrocked. So he was posthumously uh, declared an invalid pope. But then the next, that pope was de who deposed him was declared corrupt. He was deposed, and then Formosus was reinstated. That's preposthumy? Yeah. It's, and they literally <laughs> had the trial with the body of Pope Formosus in his papal regalia, sitting on a chair. Posthumously. Yeah. Posthumously. Yeah. Wait, I pronounced something correctly on the yes. podcast? Posthumously. So, my lord! It's one of my favorite words to say, posthumously. He continues, uh, I've been listening for a while now. I love that it's just three history enthusiasts talking. It reminds me of me and my brother. Keep up the good work. I wonder if either he or his brother has have a split, split personality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, there's three of you? Thank you. Uh, thank you both, Jenny and... Um, Tim. Tim, thank you. We've got two uh, more. We got two more. We got one from Theo Jones, uh, or in other words, known at, at According to Theo. He gave us a shout out um, about Nerds in History. He really liked our two parter on Napoleon. He Ooh, says so they get Josephine and gave us a thumbs up. So, and the Poor final Josephine. one, do you want to read the last one? Sure. This is Bill, and he uh, messaged us from Facebook. Just today. He said, I began listening to Nerds on History, and I became a huge fan earlier this year, and I think I've listened to every available episode. Today, I've listened to the most recent Nerds on Film. I loved it so much that I'm currently downloading more of them than I am not. LOL. You guys seriously rock. 
Well, good news, Bill. Uh, every available episode is every episode in existence. Yes. So if you've listened to all of them, kudos to you. Your challenge now, get everyone you know to listen as well. Well, it's yes. funny you mention that because he says he also ends it with, I recommend you guys and the dorks deduction to everyone. Oh, well, very so, good. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah. You're already doing it. I said it on the last couple episodes prior to the piracy episode. As we edge closer to episode 150, I really want to look back and say thank you to our listeners because we've grown from a very small group of listeners who were essentially just our friends and coworkers who we told about the podcast to now 5,000 strong. More, if not possibly. more. Yeah, we don't If really not know. more. We're somewhere in the middle because our raw downloads are in the 6,000s, our our individual downloads are in the 4,000s, so we're somewhere in between. Nevertheless, we know that there are people out there all over the world listening to our voices and our jokes, our bad jokes. Our, uh, <laughs> There's more bad than good jokes. Yeah, usually those. My puns, my mispronunciations, my just general attempts at humor. Yeah. 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 And so you, know, you guys are the reason why we keep doing this. So please keep writing in. Keep sharing the word of nerd. Keep telling your friends and family, coworkers, even people you don't like. Tell them about our podcast because maybe they'll... They'll score you some brownie points with them. Oh, I guess we got to keep recording it then, huh? Yeah. Yeah, fine. Keep yeah, servicing pull our, our public and having fun while we're doing it. Yeah. God. But in order for you to be able to contact us, you have to know how. Sarah? Skywriting. That's expensive. Yeah, if you can, however, you know, wrap any note in parchment and then fire it from a cannon, uh, we'll also accept that. I'm also a fan of Raven's. I've been catching up on Game of Thrones now, so I think Ravens oh, are very efficient. We'll be talking after the episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can um, actually probably more efficiently go to uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Search for Nerdonomy. You will find us. I promise you that. Or you can go to Nerdonomy.com. Click that Talk to Us button. It will shoot an email right into our inboxes. How cool is that? Uh, you can also uh, shoot us a letter. We have our P.O. box available. Or you can leave us a voicemail. There is a number right there at the top. Um, if you leave an awesome voicemail, it might just make it to the show. We actually do have a voicemail from Jacob. Let's go ahead and listen to it. Hey, nerds. This is Jacob. And I just want to say thank you for providing such wonderful episodes recently. I'm sorry I haven't been able to contact you guys. College has been busy and work has been busy. I just want to say, if you're going to do a nerds on words episode, you got to just include the literature as well. I mean, maybe expand it into a whole different podcast area, like nerds on books or nerds on literature or whatever. Because it's such a fascinating field, I'm surprised you guys haven't done it already. Also, Eric, as a Christian, I can say I respect your viewpoints, and you know, everybody has to have them or else we'd all be sheep. Thank you, and have a wonderful day, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. Much appreciated. But most importantly, what you guys can do is spread the word of nerd like a bird turd. Uh, go ahead and tell all your friends all about our podcast, not just us, but also our friends at Nerds on Film, considering that two of those friends are Brian and myself. So um, <laughs> we are not doing any self-promotion whatsoever right now. Um, nope. But we would, uh, yeah, just love to continue to get your feedback and love to get more listeners. So thank you very much. Yes, indeed. And, you know, nerds, it is that time. So until we meet again... Stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Pirates didn't have parrots. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Yar, get your sleeves, the old ladies here. Get them here. Oh, get oh. your point break. Get oh, your no. lane sweeper. This is gonna be bad. No, this awesome. is yeah, good. I just made some popcorn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Mm. Do you not see the cop car that just parked across the street? Oh, hello, oh yeah. yeah. No, I see, right. I see him. His arm's flailing. Behind yep. good. Oh. Uh, Apparently, he knows his rights. Make me get <laughs> yep. off of this. Mm. And he I has the right to flail like a fish. Don't yeah. Me tase you, on the ground. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh he's making a break for it. You know, he doesn't really run very fast with that peg leg, does he? No, not particularly. Especially considering he has two fully functional legs and he's just kind of like leaning on one knee. Yeah. You cannot. Well, oh, hit by a car. All right. Well, 